Welcome to Equinox, where Rob and I are striking the balance between the light and the dark. This is episode 33. My name is Joseph Darnell, and I'm joined by the one doctor on our show, Dr. Rob Carter. Hello, Rob. Hello, Joe. Your intros are getting more interesting. <laughs> are they? <laughs> I, 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 I'm just a man of the people, and the people said, here, read this. And I'm using these flashcards, and that is what it said this time. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, we are doing great. The uh, this afternoon, I was playing some catch with my son, and it's been fun to get their report cards in. Everything is great. They're doing well. I'm happy to hear that. My son just made a diorama, and he is very happy to show that to me of a Native American teepee. I got some cool pictures of the of the diorama down on the ground in the grass to make it look huge, and he's like, "Whoa! It looks like as big as the house." The way I was able to frame it just right. Cool. Yeah. Photographer dad. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Of course. What have you been up to? I've been building a robot <laughs> in my what? ample, ample spare time. <clears throat> no, I had, um, <laughs> between 3 AM and about 5 AM. Hmm. Yeah. Something like that. I had a garage door open and two of the neighborhood boys were just wandering around and they're like, Hey Rob, Hey, we can see into your garage. What's this? What's that? What's that? And they're asking me all these things. And so I, I'll grab something. Hey, I invented this or I built this a long time ago. And then I had this box of this robot that I built when I was a school teacher back in about 1995. And it's just, it was his wheels and some potentiometers and capacitors and relays. And it was just a mechanical robot. It would go forward. If it bounced into something on the right side, the back wheel would back up. If it hit on the left side, the right wheel would back up. Actually, both wheels would back up, but one went a little longer than the other. So it hit something back up and turn and try again in a different direction. And it was a really cool little robot, but I held it together with hot glue and hot glue did not last since 1995 uh, till today. And it was in pieces. I was like, oh man, my robot fell apart. And I'm like, yeah. I can do this better. Ooh. And so I... After the kids left that night, I was like, I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. I was like, I, I got to do it, man. I, I got to build a robot. So I grabbed an Arduino board, a little microprocessor that I can program. And I slapped it on a Radio Shack project box that I've had since the 90s, probably. And I took these two DC motors that I have, and one of them didn't work anymore. So I had to open it up and oil the gearbox. And then I had a, uh, a motor driver <laughs> from our Arduino board, and I put that on there. And it's... Is literally almost ready to go. I just have to put sensors on it. So I can make it go forward <laughs> and turn and whatnot. But, you know, robot needs a brain. Yeah. And I have to tell it what to do if it bumps into something. <laughs> so the, the old one, it was mechanical. If it bumped in, it connected a switch, would flip the relay. This oh. one is like, no, if you bump into something, you have to, here's my program, do X, Y, and Z. And I'm Ooh, not quite there yeah. yet, but, but the, the basic robot is complete and it's, it's, it's working. I'm very happy with it. Sweet. Robbie the robot. 2.0. Yeah. That's cool. What are you using to program? Is this Java or? Yeah, I don't know what you use for the intelligence behind a robot like that. It, it, Arduino comes with a, I don't know, a sketch. Is Arduino the name of it? It's Yeah. Arduino is an Italian company that started making this open source uh, programmable little microcontroller computer thing. And so I've actually got a, a, a knockoff model because they were cheaper. But they're like, fine, oh, okay. anyone can make this. Everybody make it. And lots of different companies do. But they, it's just this little terminal program where you have your computer program and you hit a button and it loads it to your little board. And then you unplug it from your computer and you have a little 
program thing. You can make it turn lights on and off, and there's all sorts of sensors you can attach to it. I had, oh, remember when we were talking about, oh, no, this was not you. This is an engineering friend of mine who's also a beekeeper. Uh Ah, bees. The Accidental Podcast. That's right. This guy in Michigan and I, old fraternity brother of mine, been friends for a long time, we're talking about how do you measure the temperature and humidity inside a beehive? And I'm like, well, I've got an Arduino board. Um, and I ordered a little, very inexpensive temperature humidity sensor, figured out how to program it, how it worked. And I got a little Bluetooth module that I could plug in. And so I could walk up to this thing that I made and my cell yeah. phone would tell me the temperature and humidity. <laughs> and if I put that inside yeah, yeah. a beehive, it would be recording from inside the beehive what the temperature and humidity was. Nice. Cool. Yeah. But it turns out someone's already made one of these and I could just buy one off the shelf. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So I had all that just sitting around and all these pieces came together. And now it's it's now a robot. Awesome. Is there going to be a public unveiling? I want to see your robot. Oh, sure. You need to make a video about this. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to. Yeah. I'm probably going to just for nerdiness. Elaborate on intelligent design. That'd be fun. Yeah. But the, the challenge now is if you build a robot, what purpose is it? I mean, is it going to swim? Is it going to go in snow, grass, the yard, my lawn? Um, only my floor that's flat. Um, do I have to design it for this room or that room? Because the legs on the chairs in the kitchen are different than the furniture in the living room. Mm. And so I have to build it such that it can navigate a space, which means I can't do it in another space. I have to make that choice. Would a, would a robot like this be kind of noisy? No, no, it's really quiet. Oh, okay. Yeah. If I turned it on now, you'd hardly hear anything. It's just DC motors. Wow. It's bzz, 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 we're quiet. I want to put it on a table and have it detect edges and just go around and, and not fall off the edge, which is a Ooh, risky proposition yeah. because if it does fall off the edge, you robot smashes. <laughs> but I also want it to bump into walls and things and, and navigate. So we'll see. Interesting. So if I understand, you're using some of the parts of your old bot to make this bot, or is this just another thing the only thing from the old bot was the motors yep just the motors yeah okay the the, the electronics is not it's not mechanical anymore now it's going to be um called a, a, a computer controlled hey you know what i'm gonna i have Digital. a picture of it I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna text you a picture right now while we're talking nice to joe send all right let's see how far this and now we're in the next neighborhood so it shouldn't take long but it has to probably probably go up to from outer space satellite and bounce back down to earth before it gets to you so it's got a long way to go plus probably a couple (laughs) megs too all right right. well that's really neat i'm glad to hear that 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 is one hobby i've been interested in speaking of which it's nowhere near as interesting as building one from scratch but i just bought a robot for my son for christmas no way he doesn't know yet well he doesn't know no and he doesn't listen he can't listen to this podcast that's right yes (laughs) and what kind of robot is it it's it looks like wally but it's not Wally. Yeah, very common. I wasn't paying close attention to the name, but it got a really good review on Amazon. So I'll make sure that there's a link to it in the show notes if you're interested. I'm sure it is. Does it have a two eyeballs in the front? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they resemble sort of, kind of, sort of the Johnny Five Alive look. I'm holding that in my hand right now. It's an ultrasonic distance measurer. One side's a microphone and one side's a transmitter. And oh, it makes oh, oh, oh. chirps. Eight ultrasonic chirps going out, and it'll record a time coming back in, and you can measure distance. Huh. I'm, I'm, because what, what happened was, I was like, oh, I'm going to put this on the front of my robot, like little eyeballs, ha ha ha. And then just today, I saw like some eighth grade kids with these robots. They made like little tanks, and they had exactly these things on the front. It's like, oh man, someone's got my idea. But, <laughs> okay, I, I'm putting I mine, picture. I'm going to put mine on a servo motor. 
a servo motor. It will turn depending on how much voltage you send it. So they use them on uh, remote control planes for the flaps, up and down flaps, little bit, lot of bit. Yeah. And it's just a motor. It just, it just oscillates up and down. And I'm going to put this on there so I can look. If I bump into something, I'm going to turn the eyeballs to look at what I bumped into. It's not going to see. They're not nice. really eyeballs. But it's just, it'll just be a cool effect. Like, <laughs> hey, that thing just looked over there. That is nice. So, haha, take that, you eighth graders. So what is the black strip, the thing on top? It kind of looks like it would be a digital readout. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that is, actually. That's an LCD screen. It's a two-line. I don't remember how many characters. But, yeah, I can put any text up there I want. Nice. Like, if, if I'm measuring temperature, I can put the temperature. Or, hey, you just bumped into something. And the thing, the other thing that's on top, that's a second Arduino board. I was over at a friend's house this week. He's like, hey, Rob, you got any use for this? And he gives me an Arduino board and a whole bunch of sensors. And I'm like, dude, I'm building a robot. So, boom. Half of those things are on my robot now. Sweet. Oh, it's nothing but just the heart for my new robot. You just supply. That's right. But that means they have two computers, which means if I run out of pins or time, I can use the second computer to do something else. I have two brains on my robot. Interesting. Huh. Imagine that. How many wheels does it have? I see the one big wheel on this side. I'm assuming you've got three. Two wheels. One on each side. How does it keep a balance then? Well, that's a question. Um, I was going to use a stick, and at the end of the stick, I was going to put a ping pong ball and just let it slide across the floor. Oh, okay. And I maybe, maybe two, maybe one on the front and the back so it could rock a little bit. But you see how it's, it's lying down? I had it standing up, mm-hmm. so it had a lot of clearance, but I said, wait a minute, this is really top-heavy. I laid it down. It, it'll slide just like that, but I'll, I'll put something under there for a third prop. Interesting. We're going to have a picture of this robot in the show notes. We're make it happen. Yeah, but what if I never That's finish good. it? That'd be very embarrassing. I've already dropped it twice. One time I thought I completely broke it, and one time there was smoke coming off of my board, um, and I burned my <laughs> finger. It's like, what's hot? Like, oh, ouch! Ooh, ooh, that, that's really, really hot. So I unplugged it, and um, what I figured out was that I, I can't use 12 volts to power it. So I backed it down to ooh, 6 volts, ooh. and 6 volts. But see, that's good, because I had to power, to power this with batteries. So I've got some C-cells, and I've got an old C-cell holder that holds four C-cell batteries, that's hard to say. Um, but I would need two of those holders, and I have two of them, but that would mean eight C-cell batteries. That's a lot of battery. Oh, no. Yeah. To get 12 volts. But if I only do six volts, I only need four batteries. That's a whole lot easier to put on this thing. Anyway. I can't tell really how big it is from the picture, to be honest. I started thinking that it was maybe about a foot long, but then... Oh, no. No, no, no. no. Uh, six inches. This is a little guy, huh? Yeah. It's about... Six inches long, Six maybe inches? seven, four inches high, maybe. Okay. About the size of one of those, are uh, like a toy robot R2-D2s. Yes, I guess so. But I've never seen a toy robot R2-D2, so. It's, it's, it's shorter than my foot is long. Ah, okay. Are you using some kind of like gaffer or duct tape on the wheel to keep traction? What is that? Um, actually, no. I, I spread some, um, some clear silicone uh, sealant, you know, that stuff comes in a tube. Yeah. Because now the other one doesn't have any, but the one that you're looking at is because the floor in the science classroom where I was speaking or when I was teaching, the rubber wheels, they, they continually spin. So I just put on some sticky stuff on it and it gave them really good traction. Good stuff. All right. Well, I'm ready to get into the Ig Nobel Prizes, but oh, yes, congratulations on your robot. If it doesn't work, I might get an Ig Nobel Prize award from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to have to come up with a, an awarding system for Equinox, and I'm sure you can win the first one. 
we'll just uh, set that up <laughs> for sure. All right, well, let's set up the story for today. Last week, if you haven't, listener, listened to last week's episode on the Nobel Prizes, we highly recommend it because it was amazing. Great job, by the way, Joe, on the uh, graphics and on the sound. That was a lot of fun. Oh, but my pleasure. this one is the opposite of the Nobel Prizes. Dun, dun, dun. Now, to be ignoble is not noble. It's the opposite of noble. Ignoble <laughs> is a bad thing. And the Ig Nobel Prizes are basically a joke. It's based <laughs> okay. on a, um, a, a journal that I've known about for a long time. It's called the Annals of Improbable Research. And it comes out six times a year, $5 per episode uh, for, per issue. And they just publish a bunch of things that were serious, but maybe not real. Or it's, it's like a satire on science, but they're serious about it. Some people might try to publish something that's fake or yeah, it's hard to describe because it's so far ranging. I mean, it's basically everything you can imagine can be published here. And as they're, you know, things that can never be repeated, things that are so statistically ridiculous that why would you even ever want to say this? Those kind of things go into the annals of improbable research. And I don't know if this is a spinoff or this is by design, but for many years now, they've been issuing every year the Ig Nobel Prizes. So it's the same group. It goes and back to, and looks like 1991. Yeah, that's about right. I, I, I remember um, in graduate school, I started grad school in 96. And I remember hearing about it pretty early in grad school. And we were all joking about it. And we'd read it and we'd laugh. And now I've read like one or two issues. I mean, it's not something I, I invested in, but it was, it was just a funny thing. Now, this is not the Darwin Awards. This is basically the scientific equivalent of the Darwin Awards, as in how on earth or why on earth would you ever publish that? But it's not like um, anyone died here. It's not okay. that bad. Now, the Darwin Awards, I don't know if people have heard about them, but the, it is a real thing. DarwinAwards.com. I don't recommend you, you know, visit it because people die. The, the goal in the Darwin Awards is to celebrate people who have removed themselves from the gene pool. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> uh, jokingly, I'm sure. Well, yeah, but these are real stories. I mean, this year's award winner uh, was um, a, a YouTuber who decided to climb Mount Fuji in the wintertime unprepared. Oh. And he nearly made it to the top wearing, you know, a light winter jacket and no crampons and nothing. And, and he's just street shoes. He nearly made it to the top and then he slipped and fell a thousand feet to his death on camera. Wow. And oh, another one. No. There was a kid in Australia and a bunch of kids went down to this um, sinkhole, which was beautiful, you know, clear water and an observation stand. And well, the authorities got called 3 a.m. They finally pulled his body out. The kid decided to do a handstand on the railing. <laughs> oh, no. and we down he goes <laughs> yeah another one is um there's a famous treasure that was supposedly buried somewhere out west and uh, this guy who did it uh his name was forrest fenn as far as anyone knows he claims he buried this treasure and left a poem of clues and people have been looking for this for years well, he actually just recently claimed that someone found the treasure, but no one can verify this, so we don't know. But these two guys going out looking for it um, in Rocky Mountains or something like that, and it's February. It's Dinosaur National Monument, Colorado, Utah oh. border, and it's February. 
and they have to get rescued. And then they go and they rent some jets, uh, not jet skis, some snowmobiles, and they try it again. And this time they died. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying not to laugh. Death is not funny. Stupidity is not funny. But sometimes, and especially the way this is written, it's um, it makes you chuckle a lot. Um, there's another guy who had he was he bought a plane in I think I don't know California, the East Coast. I think it was flying back to the East Coast from California, and the new plane that he had bought had a fuel problem and every time he put it nose up as in you know taking off gasoline or aviation fuel would dump on his feet oh no and, and so he'd fly for a couple hundred miles stop at airport get it checked out get it refueled and leave again and people said you can't fly this plane oh i'm good i'm good i'm dead so yeah he crashed and burned Whoa. so those are the darwin awards and honestly it's, it's just morbid curiosity that i've been checking these things out for years and laughing, and then feeling guilty for laughing. Well, and you don't want to end up on this uh, website yourself. <laughs> and knowing what I was like as a teenager, I certainly could have. Um, just, I mean, oh. I've done handstands on balconies. Yeah. Not handstands, but planking. You know, skinny people, they can, they can put their elbows on their hips and balance on their arms as a plank. You ever seen someone do that? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I've done that on, you know, 15-story balcony because I was stupid. <laughs> And a teenager, because, you know, you don't think Woo. anyway. Yeah. But wow. So the I good old days. could have been there. You, you could have at least won a few nominations. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> our, our goal here is to talk about the Ig Nobel Prizes. So there's a bunch of them this year, and I, I want to do something. How about yes. you read one and I read one? All right. Well, then okay, we'll but, I go first. But let, for the audience's sake, Joe, do you hereby uh, certify that you are unaware of anything you're about to read? Yes. I've never read this before, and I have not come across it anywhere. Okay. I'm actually surprised as much as I am on Twitter and uh, Reddit. <laughs> so. Well, let's make it more famous. I've read all these, and I've... I've read the backstory behind all of them. And on my computer, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've got eight tabs open right now uh, for the background story of each one of these. And oh, a lot of good. times the scientific paper, because this is scientifically published research. It's literally people wrote this. Wow, this is going to be good. <laughs> okay. All right. So you want to do the first one or you want me to do the first one? No, no, no. Please let me. Okay. So all you, the acoustic prize. Yeah. Acoustics for Austria, Sweden, Japan, USA, and Switzerland. Uh, this includes uh, Stephen Reber, Takashi Nishimura, Nishimura uh, Judith uh, Zanich, Mark Robertson, and Tacoma, Tecumseh, Tecumseh Fitch. Sorry. <laughs> Tecumseh, Tecumseh Fitch. What a great... I want that name. <laughs> Tecumseh. For inducing a female Chinese alligator to bellow in an airtight chamber filled with helium-enriched air. <laughs> okay, you heard that right, my friends. This is a alligator bellowing into a chamber with helium-enriched air. In the Journal of Experimental Biology. Wow, imagine that. A serious journal. <laughs> <sighs> the reference is to an, uh, an article called A Chinese Alligator in Heliox. Formant frequencies <laughs> in a crocodilian. <laughs> well, okay then. But look at that. I'll, I'm honestly struck. 
all five authors attended the award ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. <sighs> okay, so I don't, have you ever been to Florida? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen the alligators. They're there. Look out. You go any of the beaches, the trails, the parks, picnics, tables. Oh, you got to watch out. Okay. How about rural Florida? Have you ever been to rural Florida at night? Yes, but I didn't see any then. But did you hear grunting alligators? Oh, no, not that time. Especially during mating season. The honk, honk sound of alligators. They're they're loud. Oh, I'm sure. And you sleep in a tent and you hear an alligator over there, another one over there, another one over there, and you realize you're surrounded by alligators. Oh, that's That's kind of cool. It's happened to me several times in my life, but they make noise. And honestly, I read the description of what a formant is, (laughs) and I don't understand it. But they reason that alligators of different sizes would make noises at different pitches that kind of makes sense and so they put the alligator <laughs> in, a, in a box with helium to make their pitch go up <laughs> so hong kong is it a hong kong <laughs> and they concluded that indeed it is true they said we conclude these frequency bands represent formants we suggest crocodilian vocalizations could thus provide an acoustic indication of body size via formants oh okay so there was a scientific reason yeah but no i i that's brilliant i I don't even know what that means and i literally i looked at it it's got something to do with vocal tract resonances okay i don't know why it's a big deal it sounds like they just want to know how big the gator is based on the size the 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 bassiness of the vocalization and want to make themselves sound real smart by using big words. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <sighs> Any excuse to put the alligator into a chamber of helium. <laughs> now, to be now fair. I want to know what a few other animals sound like, like uh, maybe the hippopotamus or the, <laughs> a warthog. That'd be great. It, oh, oh, a, a lion. A lion. I want to hear oh, a lion with you. Meow. <laughs> okay we already know what that sounds like <laughs> there was oxygen in the chamber it wasn't like they're just putting them in straight up helium but by replacing the nitrogen with helium it changed the density of the air which would ch- change the resonation frequency of vocal cords or whatever thing that they're doing to make those noises there's an old doctor who old tom baker doctor who from the 70s where the bad guy had trained all of his robots to respond to his voice commands and it's, you know they're Doctor Who and this guy are battling and doing stuff. And finally, Doctor Who's about to die. He's trapped in a room. And here come the big bad robots. Oh, he's going to get killed. And he's got a bottle of gas. And he just opens the valve and goes, and sure enough, the bad guy said, hey, kill Doctor Who. And they didn't recognize him. So the the robots killed their master. I was like, it was just genius. Genius. <laughs> so good. Have you ever wow. taken a helium balloon and breathed it in and make funny noises? You've done that, right? Oh, yeah. Dozens of times. I saw a child at a party. All the other kids were doing it. He took a balloon and he breathed in, breathed out, breathed in, breathed out, breathed in. The same balloon. He hyperventilated the, hy- the, the helium. Huh. What would that His do? eyes rolled back. He started going to convulsions. He landed on the ground and flopped around like a fish and wet himself. Whoa. He almost died. Yeah. He flushed all the oxygen out of his lungs. Wow. See, we don't have oxygen sensors. 
we have carbon dioxide sensors. The reason we breathe is because our body detects a pH change from the carbon dioxide in the, in the blood, and that's what we breathe from. If you have no oxygen, you don't even know it. You just pass out. I had no idea. And you heard mom come racing across the playground. I mean, like a siren. Ah, Billy! I'm sure. <laughs> Here's a kid flopping on the ground. Oh, this has happened to Billy before. <laughs> this is not what they did to these poor alligators. Wow. Ready for number two? Yes, sir. Okay. The psychology prize between Canada and the USA goes to Miranda Giacomin and Nicholas Rule for... Dev- <laughs> Sure. Serious. For devising a method to identify narcissists by examining their eyebrows. <laughs> okay, white, white. What would be distinctive about them? That references Eyebrows Q Grandiose Narcissism, which was published in the Journal of Personality in 2019. And both authors showed up for their award ceremony. What? Part of the research was, wow. you ever see on, um, on Conan O'Brien, maybe, where they've got a guy's face, but Conan's, it's his mouth on like, you know, George Bush or something like that. And it's his mouth. And, yeah, sure. And he's making it look like this famous person is saying stuff, but it's really him. Well, that's what they did with eyebrows. They changed eyebrows in videos. Right. And had people watch them and assess if they could tell if the person was a narcissist or not based on the eyebrows and the eyebrow movement. <laughs> and they conclude this. Together, these data show that distinctive eyebrows reveal narcissist personality to others, providing a basic understanding of the mechanism through which people can identify narcissistic personality traits with potential application to daily life. So what is an example of a narcissist's eyebrows? What does it look like? Eyebrows? I mean, why, why on earth would personality have to do with how much hair you have on top of your eyes? Or is it just the way people perceive it? Or, I mean, come on. I mean, you don't, there aren't any you know, blonde, eyebrowed narcissists. Everyone's got a nice, thick bush up there. I mean, what, what's going on here? Well, mainly, I just want to know how far they'll go to explain themselves. How far they will elaborate. Yeah. They're not joking. They're really serious about this. And they think that they're conclusive. Yeah. Like, they didn't say we started barking up this tree and found out we were wrong. Yeah. They're saying, no, 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 we were actually right all along. We, we, we knew our stuff and our conclusions are true. In study one, we explored the face's features using a variety of manipulations, ultimately finding that accurate judgments, accurate, of grandiose narcissism particularly depend on a person's eyebrows. In studies 2A through 2C, we identified eyebrow distinctiveness, e.g. thickness, density, as a primary characteristic supporting these judgments, finally, we confirm the eyebrows' importance in studies 3A and 3B by measuring how much perceptions of narcissism change when swapping narcissist and nar- narcissist eyebrows between faces. Wow. <laughs> they put on the Groucho Marx classes. I mean, that is so <laughs> odd. Oh. I, 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 well, I mean, like, unlike the alligator example of helium, it's... It sounds a little bit more inconclusive. <laughs> there should really be no no correlation. Now, the way a person uses their eyebrows might have something to do with narcissistic personalities, or at least I the way that. people thought. But the eyebrow thickness, etc. I mean, you're talking about high testosterone people tend to be more hairy, therefore more narcissistic. I wouldn't think so. It might be true. But just because you find a correlation between two things means nothing oh there's a website about that 
Oh, yes, yes. What's the name of that website? Oh, about correlations between two things and like. Yeah. Is it Investopedia Spurious Correlation? That came up when I just Googled it. I'm not familiar with this one. You can plot things and they can have a very tight correlation and have nothing to do with one another. Like, you know, the fish prices in Saskatchewan versus how fast people drive in major metropolitan areas. <laughs> and if, if you throw enough things together, you will find two things that tightly relate to one another and they're completely uncorrelated. Yeah, like the, two, the example of Abraham Lincoln and JFK uh, Kennedy connections. No, I don't know, man. They were both shot by a person who went by all three of his names. Lincoln's secretary is named Kennedy, and Kennedy's secretary is named Lincoln, um, et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's all sorts of very strange correlation, but of course it is spurious and random. So I'm wondering about this particular study. I'm not sure I quite believe it. Anyway, why don't you do the third, you do, you do the third one. I want to know what noses have to say because I would have I would have gone with noses. I would have oh, yeah. said, Oh yeah. See that that I could understand. Yeah, all narcissists have big noses. We all know that. A crooked nose. A wart. <laughs> a wart. <laughs> <laughs> no, a narcissist would have that wart removed, you see. Oh right. uh-huh. they're looking into the pool of water. So Oliver Oliver Cromwell, when he has his portrait painted and he said, Warts and all, I think that's where that phrase comes from. He obviously wasn't a narcissist, oh. maybe, because, man, the way he ruled England. Anyway, long story. Mm. You want to do number three? Yes, here we go. Peace Prize for India and Pakistan. Wait, aren't they at war all the time? I know. All right. May- maybe they-, they just got an idea of what peace kind of looks like. The governments of India and Pakistan for having their diplomats surreptitiously ring each other's doorbells in the middle of the night and then run away before anyone had a chance to answer the door. (laughs) Wait, what? This is referenced from numerous news reports. What is going on? (laughs) They're playing ring and run. That is so awesome. Hey, hey, let's go down to the Pakistani embassy in New Delhi for me. (laughs) Hey, let's go down to the embassy in Lahore. Ring, ring. Run away. At least, at least they know how to not take themselves too seriously. And the fact that they did it on purpose and they told their diplomats to do this. They're just Maybe this is good. Maybe this is better than fighting each other with bullets. Yeah, th- this is a sign of a nation that has forgotten why they're fighting. And now they're just trying to have some fun. That's right. It's a sign of maturity and, and nation building. <laughs> and if you can poke fun at each other, that's a good thing. I hope they keep it up. <laughs> they won this peace prize fair and square. It's really noble of them. That's right. They should have gotten the Nobel Peace Prize for this, for having their diplomats surreptitiously ring each other's doorbells in the middle of the night. At least a nomination. That's right. Wow. Okay. Go India. Go Pakistan. All right. That was a brief one. There's not really much more to say. No, no, but good on them. All right. Ready? The physics prize shared between Australia, Ukraine, France, Italy, Germany, the UK, and South Africa. Ivan... Maximov nice name. and Andrei Potosky for determining experimentally what happens to the shape of living earthworms when one vibrates the earthworm at a high frequency. <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't and know that anybody wanted to know. I don't know if this is officially published, but they did load their paper to Bayer Archive, a preprint server, so other, some paper could publish it. And it's titled, Excitation of Faraday-Like Body Waves in Vibrated Living 
earthworms. <laughs> and both guys showed up at the ceremony. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, so. Well, I mean, that hardly sounds, seems scientific. Well, no, no, it's extremely scientific. Okay. The question is, why would they want to do it? Right. You expect a particular outcome. And then what is the outcome you expected besides uh, somewhat vibrating worms? Well, it's not necessarily true that earthworms would have vibrated. Oh, okay. Just because they're mostly made of water doesn't mean you can be, be able to set up a standing wave inside an earthworm, which is essentially what they're claiming. So biological cells and many living organisms are mostly made of liquids and therefore, by analogy, with liquid drops. They should exhibit a range of fundamental non-linear phenomena such as the onset of standing surface waves. Here we test four common species of earthworms to demonstrate that vertical vibration of living <laughs> worms lying horizontally on a flat... <laughs> This is this sounds a lot like what a really smart kid would have come up with for his earth science project. Yeah. You know, for the science fair. Yeah, high high school science fair, yeah. But they did theoretical analyses and parametric mathematics. They modeled the earthworm's body as a hydrostatic skeleton with a flexible skin and a liquid filled body cavity. Wow. They hum they put them on a plate that was mm mm mm. Oh, look at these wiggling. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the I mean, best part. <laughs> I guess it's, it's better than stretching them on a guitar and plucking them to see if they they harmonically resonate oh, like a guitar string, oh which word. they would have done if you could do it without breaking them. Yes, this is better. <laughs> they say this. They said, the ability to excite nonlinear subharmonic body waves in a living organism could be used to probe and potentially to control important biophysical processes such as propagation of nerve impulses, thereby opening up avenues for addressing biological questions of fundamental impact. Wow, that is so deep. <laughs> I wonder if that's narcissistic. <laughs> what do these guys, what do these guys' uh, eyebrows look like? Uh, so what would happen if you added helium to the mix? Oh, oh, that would change the resonant frequency. Well, I don't know, because they're made of water and the water's inside an internal body cavity. Hmm. But, uh, sorry, you, you caught me being nerdy. I guess we'll never know. All right. Economics prize for the UK, Poland, France, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Australia, Italy, Norway, and Italy again. We have Christopher Watkins, Juan David Leon Gomez, uh, Jean Beauvais. Agnizakfika, Agnizka, Gesundheit, and then <laughs> Max Kordmacher, Marco Antonio Correa Varela, Ana Maria Fernandez, Danielle Wagstaff, or is it more like Wagstaff or something? I don't know. And Samuela Bogan. Yeah, her name's not funny, dude. It's kind of rude to laugh at a girl's name, you know. I'm not supposed to, but <laughs> then again. For trying to quantify the relationship between different countries' national income inequality and the average amount of mouth to what <laughs> the average amount of mouth to mouth kissing, can you believe it? Okay, listen to this again. Forget about all their names. For trying to quantify the relationship between different countries' national income inequality and the average amount of mouth to mouth kissing. Okay, so the, the references or the national income inequality predicts cultural variation in mouth-to-mouth kissing. That, that is a study you can find in the show notes, if you can believe it or not. Christopher D. Watkins and the rest of them. Wow. And then uh, Christopher Watkins actually participated in this ceremony, the Ig Nobel Prize winner. Wow. Okay. Do you know, do you know what R-squared is? 
Uh, no. You've seen a graph with a bunch of dots, and there's just a line drawn through the dots? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If every single dot falls on the line, all the, the dots are in a perfectly straight line, your R squared is one. If the dots are very widely scattered, and the line just kind of like goes through a cloud of dots, they might, your R squared might be 0.7 or 0.5 would be terrible. It's a measure of statistical relevance. An R squared of 0.95 means pretty, um, in rough terminology, 95% of your points fall on the line or very close to the line. An R squared of 0.3 means pretty much it's random. There's no correlation whatsoever. And they didn't report R squared. They reported R. If you square R, their number is 0.6. If you square that, you're talking about a number about you know less than 0.4. And if you look at the dots on their graph, they've got the basically the income of the country on the horizontal axis and the vertical y-axis is the amount of smooching per country and it's error bars and all the error bars overlap, meaning there is no correlation between these two things. <laughs> it's completely spurious. They should have concluded that there is no correlation, but they didn't. They concluded there is a correlation because if you draw a dotted line, it actually there's a slope to it. It's a little higher on the right, a little lower on the left. Therefore, the richer you are, it took me a while to figure out if it was which way it was, but the richer countries are more romantic, you see, than poorer countries. Oh, oh, okay, I see. But one, oh. it's not true. Two, most of the world is more reserved than Western cultures. Certainly premaritally. So is that true? Yeah. Well, premaritally, most people don't engage in kissing or other things that they also factored into their 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 formula. Wow. Interesting. Western cultures is pretty much free love. And is, you know, you know what's happened over to Western culture over the last couple hundred years. Right. Being that Western cultures are generally richer than other cultures, it probably has absolutely nothing to do with money. Plus, there are value. Is so pathetically small, they might might as well not even have published this. Well, see, that's the thing is, I, I could imagine that it could have a connection to money until you said that the findings show that it has really nothing to do with money. Then I'm like, okay, I, I buy that. that. That's totally legitimate. Hmm. The final money. sentence in their abstract is, as social complexity requires monitoring resource competition among large groups, and predicts kissing prevalence in remote societies. This gesture may be important in the maintenance of long-term pair bonds in specific environments. That sentence actually says nothing. <laughs> may be important. And, you know, may be important in the maintenance of long-term pair bonds. Which direction? May be important negatively or positively. It, it, it's, it's so completely ambiguous, and I can't believe this was published, and they deserve the Boo Award for this. Anyway... I'm done with that one. It actually makes well, me angry okay. to, to read that one. It's just so yeah. bad. That's too bad. Hmm. Such a shame. Oh, anyway, y you can imagine people. All right, so then the next prize is the management prize, and this goes to China. It looks like there's a lot of Chinese names I'm not going to be able to pronounce, so forgive me. Oh, Ji Guang'an, Mo Tianzhang. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so five professional hitmen in Guangxi, China. Guangxi. Is that right? Yep. The province who managed to contract for a hit job, a murder performed for money, in the following way: after accepting payment to perform the murder, person one instead subcontracted the task to 
person two, who then instead subcontracted the task to person three, who then instead subcontracted the task to person four, who then instead subcontracted the task to person five, with each subsequently enlisted hitman receiving a smaller percentage of the fee and nobody actually performing the murder. <laughs> That's kind of brilliant. The management prize. Wow. Okay, Pass. then. Now, and the reference was? <laughs> Numerous news reports and trial documents. <laughs> yeah, so happily, this was not a published scientific study, but <laughs> human behavior. That is so good. <laughs> that would actually make a funny Hollywood movie, The Reluctant Hitman. Oh, this is stuff here. He doesn't yeah. want to do it. So, he, hey, dude, go kill this lady. I'll give you 100 bucks. Hey, dude, kill that lady. I'll give you 10 bucks. Hey, dude, kill that lady. I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I can see this. This sounds like a one of those comedies like um, The Lady Killers, Rye Dark murder comedy that'd be great <laughs> hey let's do it we, we're good writers let's let's write a script based on this pretty easy we'll just outsource it <laughs> <laughs> the entomology prize usa richard vetter for collecting evidence that many entomologists that is study scientists who study insects are afraid of spiders which are not insects <laughs> no way wait what that is not what you say oh come on you don't say they're they're afraid of spiders, which aren't insects. What you say is, they're they're surely close. Would would we categorize them as bugs? They're not insects, dude. Oh come on! Even the little ones. The the reference: arachnophobic entomologists. When two more legs makes a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Published in the American Entomologist in 2013, and sure enough, Richard showed up for the award ceremony, <laughs> and he's got. All sorts of bar graphs, spider traits that entomologists dislike. And why do you dislike spiders? You know, one is many legs or the way they move or they bite. <laughs> A score from one to seven, what you like or dislike. And of course, at the high, the top is butterflies, dragonflies, ladybugs, and porpoises. <laughs> now, I guess none of them have ever bitten a ladybug. Those things are disgusting. They're full of terpenes and porpoises. I was in the University of Miami scientific diving office taking a high-tech chemistry scientific diving class. The wife of the dive instructor worked at the Miami Sea Aquarium, which is right next door to our campus. And in the middle of class, she bursts in the door, throws her stuff down, and a big huff, she said, I just quit. And we're like, and we said her name, name, uh, what happened? And she goes, the fish bit me again. Now, the fish, of course, is marine biology slang for uh, a dolphin <laughs> even though they're not fish and she pulls up the hem of her skirt and she has on her thigh and on her quads both sides of her her, her, her leg a series of bruises in the shape of a dolphin jaw oh <laughs> and, she, and she says and i was wearing my wetsuit <laughs> wow ouch so i don't know why these guys ranked porpoises so high as gentle and lovely when these are wild animals but at the bottom of the scale were ticks spiders and mosquitoes wow sure enough that he ranked intensity of reaction disgust versus fear and it just turns out that the number of entomologists who scored a fear of spiders very highly on his questionnaire 
was the predominant group of entomologists, and only a few of them were, in fact, maybe none of them were not afraid at all of spiders. Okay, so the funny thing here, though, <laughs> that I, I think is an extra curveball is the way that the summary is ended, which are not insects. What's wrong with that? Does it does it really matter at this point, dude? We, we well, all know what spiders look like. Yeah, but an entomologist, of course, would know that spiders aren't insects. That doesn't mean that I, I, exactly. So why even bother to mention it? <laughs> because we don't. Most people don't know. There, it's just a, a joke sort of thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, I, I do appreciate the headline of the article being that arachnophobic entomologists, <laughs> when two more legs make a big difference. Yes. When two legs do. Mm. Because the first six didn't bother you so much. All right, Medicine Prize, the Netherlands and Belgium. I'm not going to pronounce those names. I'm sorry. No problem. I salute you, all of you, nameless people, for diagnosing a long unrecognized medical condition is that mis- misophonia? Misophonia? Miso or misophonia? Misophonia. The distress at hearing other people make chewing sounds. <laughs> the distress. <laughs> I have heard, I know people with this condition. Well, it's a new thing now. People are talking about it. Oh, yeah, me too. But this is not just, I don't like people chewing or I grossed out. This is literally fear um, of the distress. They get angry and a profound sense of loss of self-control with rare but potentially aggressive outbursts when they hear someone chewing. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, somebody needed to define it, so now we got it. They will endure the encounter with the misophonic sound with intense discomfort, anger, or disgust. Not just a little bit, but intense. Ooh. So it's, it's more than just a dislike. It's literally a phobia. Ooh. They have anger issues and impulsive aversion or aversive physical reactions which starts with irritation and instantly becomes anger the poor people <laughs> sorry i'm not laughing but this is this is literally a, a s- no 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 it, it's unexpected yeah. it, it takes you by surprise the notion that this can even exist yeah it's like the literally just this week someone reported on a salivary gland that humans have that no one knew existed before no way how does that work? It's at the back of the throat, behind the bone at the back of the throat. Interesting. Now, we have lots and lots of little pores all over our, our nose and throat that exude little bits of water. But it's literally a salivary gland. It's a big old thing that's been hiding back there, and no one knew it was there until literally just now. <laughs> and so now we have these psychologists who are identifying this new phobia, which is a real thing. And mm, But we got to be careful because sometimes um, people get justifications for being angry stop chewing when really it's it's just no big deal right exactly that's what i say of course i'm not offending anyone when i chew Uh, okay well okay you get the one at the end i'm gonna laugh at you when you start reading that one but i'm I'm gonna get this one which is very political the medical educator education prize goes to brazil uk india mexico belarus usa turkey russia and turkmenistan so Bolsonaro of Brazil, Johnson of the UK, Modi of India, uh, Lopez Obrador of Mexico, Lukashenko of Belarus, Donald Trump of the USA, Erdogan of Turkey, and Putin of Russia, and um, Berdmuhamedow of Turkmenistan. Dude, that has a lot of letters in his name. That, that's a long one, yeah. For using the COVID-19 viral pandemic to teach the world that politicians can have more immediate effect on life and death than scientists and doctors can. 
Oh, burn. Ouch. <laughs> oh, that's a slap in the face. Yeah, so their source is just numerous news reports. And this is the second Ig Nobel Prize to Alexander Lukashenko of Belarus. In the year 2013, he was awarded jointly, the Ig Nobel Peace Prize was awarded jointly to Alexander Lukashenko for making it illegal to applaud in public and to the state of Belarus to their police for arresting a one-armed man for applauding. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so apparently these guys wow. are no fond of Lukashenko and they're no fond of politicians who um well what they say again for using the COVID-19 viral pandemic to teach the world that politicians can have more immediate effect on life and death than scientists and doctors can. <sighs> I, I honestly wow. don't quite know what to say. We don't get into politics on this show. Um this makes me a little angry and a little frustrated, and I laugh at the same time. <laughs> I'm not exactly yes. sure how I'm supposed to take this. Right. So right. I'm just going to leave it there, and I'm going to let you read the last one, and I'm going to hold my nose. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> the Material Science Prize awarded to Meetan Irin, Michelle Beber, James Norris, Elisa Peron, Ashley Rudkotsky, Michael Wilson, and Marianne Rahanti for showing that knives manufactured from frozen human feces... What? <laughs> for showing that knives manufactured from frozen human feces do not work well. Oh. Oh. Reference, experimental replication shows knives manufactured from fro frozen human feces do not work. Wow. Jour Journal of Archaeological Science. And a lot of those people um, showed up for the ceremony. But you gotta wonder, what about other types of species, feces? Um, okay. Well, I don't know. Mm. Th there is a, a basis for this. They basically disproved. Oh, I'm sure there is. There has to be a very good explanation. They disproved an urban legend. Oh. And I didn't get it either. I'm like, this is gross. Why would anyone freeze poop of different consistencies and try to make a knife out of it? Ugh. So the ethnographic account of an Inuit man manufacturing knife from his own frozen feces to butcher and disarticulate a dog has permeated both the academic literature and popular culture. Oh, I'd never okay. I'd never heard this. Wow. To evaluate the validity of this claim, we tested the basis of that account via experimental archaeology. Our experiments assess the functionality of knives made from human feces in controlled conditions that provided optimal conditions for success. However, they were not functional. While much research has shown foragers to be technologically resourceful, innovative, and savvy, we suggest that this ethnographic account should no longer be used to support that narrative. You heard it from scientists, folks. So apparently, and they, they've got documentation in, in their paper, this is a story that has been you know, doing the rounds, even in scientific literature, that look how smart people are. They can even make a knife out of poop. And I... Just like the last one, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to think here. Is this supposed to make me angry or happy? You know, man, people are so smart. Or people are so, these people are so stupid. They would do something so gross. It would make us turn up our noses. Ew, we don't like them. I'm not exactly certain how I'm supposed to think of this. But No, I think it's for the best that they, they debunked yes, that idea, and, that legend. And dispelled it. Good for them. But um, yeah, I'm glad you had to read that one. That's, that's kind of funny. I, I didn't count. Every other one. I wasn't sure which one I was going to read and which ones you were going to read. That's just kind of funny that you ended That's up with that. As it turns out. Yeah, I'm glad right. I didn't have to do that. <laughs> well, you heard it here on a science podcast, folks. 
you know, as, as weird as those were, I can, I, I, there's a lot of reading material here. Yes. There's all those other years between 2019 and 1991. I want to go back and I want to read these. I'm going to share this with the family. Wow. <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll have to highlight some of the other best of that we come across for <laughs> next <of>. week's episode. <laughs> Just like pick a few of our favorites. <laughs> or maybe April Fool's Day. Ah, uh, yes. One. We'll bring out the favorites. Oh, maybe we should do April this Fools. on April Fool's. We could do next year. We'll do the Nobels in uh, October again and the Ig Nobels on April Fool's. That would make sense. Hmm. I like it. Yeah. Hmm. Crazy anyway. things, people. But, man, you put a smile on our face. <laughs> we just shake our heads. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to see it. And yes, spiders are not insects. By the way, links for all these things will be in the show notes. In fact, we're just going to put the main link to this year's awards. And you can, if you like, click on any of the sub links, it'll bring you to the papers or the announcements if you want to follow up on any of these crazy things. Absolutely. Wow, Rob. That, I'm so glad you introduced me to this. I don't know that I learned anything. <laughs> it was very interesting. Well, we learned about human nature and the scientific process. We learned about... Um, and high-pitched alligators. High-pitched alligators, but also statistical correlation, um, false correlations. Um, there's actually a lot of scientific principles that were just discussed on the show. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Eyebrows. Eyebrows. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and ring and run. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us and laughing along with us. If you found this episode interesting in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or a family member. If you want to dig deeper into any of this topic, uh, you can find the links to the everything that we discussed in the show notes, like Rob was saying. They're available at nightowl.fm slash equinox slash 33 for this episode. The show notes are also with this episode if you subscribe to the show in an app on your phone. And you should also check out Biblical Genetics, which is Rob's other project, and it's totally legit. Uh, Biblical Genetics is also available on Facebook and YouTube, where you can watch the videos and join discussions in the comments. And if you want to find me, I'm at JCS Darnell on Twitter. Or, you know, take a listen to my other podcast, Hi-Fi, which is available at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi. Until next time, goodbye, Rob. Goodbye, Joe. And you have been listening to Equinox. like um astronauts no one talks about the fact that you have to put on a diaper before you get in your spacesuit <laughs> that that would do it for some people so i just had the world record spacewalk really how many times you pee in your diaper during that spacewalk <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's amazing